Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. If you want more information on the things that we are doing here at Park Hills, parkhillschurch.com or the Park Hills Church app. go yeah let's do it pastor alex and pastor chris back in the house recording things for people to listen to that's a podcast <laughs> i made it sound way less interesting yeah. than it is oh these two guys are gonna talk about something they're gonna talk about stuff and people will listen so uh one of the things we want to talk about as we move through mark is these seven showdowns that happen in Mark 2 and 3. This is not to say these are the only showdowns that happen, but this is sort of the beginning of the fight, and you see this progression uh, of what goes on. So with that said, we're just going to dive right in, because we have seven of them to cover. Yeah. You want me to take the first one? Go for it. Read the first one? Go for it. All right. We are looking at the first one is chapter 2, 7, and 8. Here we go. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? And then he he continues to say, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take your bed, and walk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this first one in Mark 2, because remember Mark 1 is really just setting up the idea that Jesus is powerful, he's got all these things going on, but there's no conflict. Right. So all, what are you seeing here, Chris, like in this first showdown? Yeah. So it's all of a sudden in chapter two here, this paralytic guy, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven and they freak out, which I understand why they're freaking out a little bit. Right. For someone to look at someone who's paralyzed and say, your sins are forgiven. What is that really going to do? Yeah. I, I feel like this is the one where it's like, which is easier to say, well, it's probably easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no accountability to that, right? Like, mm-hmm. are his sins forgiven? I don't know. You didn't have to do it. I could walk up to anyone and say, your sins are forgiven. Sure. So it's easier to say that. But but actually, maybe it's easier to say, get up and walk because nobody can forgive. You know, it's kind of one of those yeah. like, well, which, oh, that one. Well, actually, no, the other one is easier. Well, actually, no, wait. Yeah. The deeper you go, you go back and forth between those questions. Yeah. It's kind of a ridiculous fight. Yeah. I, I mean, in many ways. And it's a good one to start off with, but it clearly Jesus is doing something here that starts the ball rolling, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, he proves it so, yeah. that you, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, pick up your mat and go home. And, and you would think, uh, you think that would blow, well, it did blow people away. Yeah. And I would point out that this starts with them saying he is blaspheming. Why does he talk like this? What's going on? But what's interesting in verse six, they're questioning it in their hearts. So they're not saying it out loud. They're just thinking it. And Jesus directly deals with their thoughts, which already should make them think maybe there is something about this guy. But the fact that they're saying he's a blasphemer is going to be something that's going to sort of spark big time in chapter seven, uh, a little bit in chapter three. But for now, like that's really the beginning of this is they're thinking inside their heads and their hearts. Why is this guy doing this? And Jesus responds with, well, what's is easier, this or this? And this is the first of the conflicts. So 
If that's the first of the conflicts, where does this go? Well, you're going to notice that this is going to slowly build over all seven of these. And so the second one is verse 16 of chapter 2. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Alex, what do you see in this one? Yeah, what I'm looking at here is Jesus's uh, illustration of the physician comes to the sick people. And what's really interesting to me is everybody is sick. Mm-hmm. Everybody is in need of spiritual healing from Jesus. But but Jesus uses this illustration to, to tell them, like, hey, I'm not here for you. I'm here for these, quote, tax collectors and sinners, mm-hmm. which, is, which is really crazy because— in a sense, because we're all sick, the Pharisees need Jesus as well. Mm-hmm. But he's saying, I'm not here for you. So really, I think what Jesus is talking about is there's this idea that you have to realize you're sick. Mm-hmm. And that's why he says, I came not to call the righteous. Really, the idea, I came not to call the righteous in their own hearts. Like, if right. you already believe you're righteous, you're not going to you're not gonna desire me. And I think the implication for that today is part of our evangelism has to include sin. Mm-hmm. I think we miss that sometimes in evangelism. We're like, just come to Jesus. Jesus is here. Jesus will help you in your hurts and help you in your problems. And we think like, oh, I, I need someone to help me and build me up and help me deal with not my not my sin, but my external stressors and anxieties mm-hmm. that are placed upon me. You know, this happened to me or this happened to someone I love and I don't know how to deal with it, but Jesus is my comforter. And he is all those things. But we also have to forget like, we have to realize we're broken. Mm-hmm. So. And it's interesting that he started off the first challenge saying, you know, your sins are forgiven to the paralytic and, the, and then, or should I just say, get up and walk and then get up and walk. And then the very next thing he's feasting with tax collectors and sinners. And then having this, this comment about all of you, really, I mean, you're right. The point that he's making is everyone needs me. Do you see that or not? Right. Right. And then the first step is realizing and understanding that, we all need the forgiveness that Jesus has. Because I think, you know, I, I, I talked about this with Mark one time. This is the late Mark Balmer. Um, <laughs> that's how we refer to him now around here. Um, I hope he listens to this and texts yeah. me later. That'd Sorry, Mark. It's all good. You're, you're still very much alive, but not in our heart. I mean. Uh, he's, dead. he's dead to us. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I was talking to Mark one time. And, and what's interesting is um, in the Gospels, Jesus is often interacting with Jews and Gentiles and Pharisees and scribes and then other people. And, you know, you you actually end up seeing it a lot more in the epistles of Paul or the letters of Paul where Paul's talking about Jews and Gentiles. As actual, literal Gentiles, sometimes we read ourselves into that portion of the story. Right. But I think what, what Paul is really getting at a lot of times or what Jesus here is getting at is we are more like the Pharisees. Yes. We, we love to think that, Oh, I'm, I'm the Matthew. And and maybe some of us really are, but at least broader, like most people, you know, if you've been to church your whole life, you've kind of grown up in the church, you know, pray to prayer when you were a kid, it was real. You've kind of lived the life Mm -hmm. that Jesus has asked you to for a long time. We, we are more like the religious leaders of the day. We are more like the Pharisees. And so we, we love to read this story and be like, oh, yeah, you know, this is about 
if I identify with someone, I'm the tax collector and sinner, and mm-hmm. Jesus comes to me and is here for me, that's true. But it's also a reminder for us not to act like the Pharisees and see those people that we interact with and say, I'm healthy, they're sick, they have problems, but I'm not going there. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, This is a challenge for us. More than us to receive like Jesus, I think it's there, but also to reach like Jesus reached. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. That was my conversation with Mark. That's a good conversation with Mark. Why don't you read verse 24 oh, yeah. there? <clears throat> You're good. My part. You got to give me the signal. <laughs> All right. Uh, next showdown. Uh, number three is verse 24, chapter 2, verse 24. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And so this specifically is walking through the fields and plucking the heads of grain. So Chris... Why are the Pharisees all hung up about him plucking heads of grain? Because they're annoying. That's the basic <laughs> answer. The The issue with this passage is pretty big. There actually is no law against this on the Sabbath. The law about the Sabbath is not to glean your crops on the Sabbath. And really what God is saying, I want you to take a day where you're not working. That's right. that's what the whole point of the Sabbath is, is I want you to chill that's that's how that's how you translate it in the Chris translation. Mm-hmm. I just want you to chill. Chill out. Yeah, chill for a whole day. But gleaning the harvest, you know, walking around with a sickle and, you know, and then you know, taking all the grains and f- having all the chaff float away, all that's like that that's serious labor. If you're walking past a field and you grab a couple of grains off of it, there's nothing wrong with it. But at some point, these guys have decided this is wrong. You're not allowed to do that. And now the disciples are doing it, which is really the whole pushback of this entire passage. Right. And it's not something I cut out of the message when I preached this one, but it was definitely something that I wish I could have just gone further and further into. And here's one of the big things that I I didn't get into per se in the message, but it was definitely there. And here's what it is. There is no guarantee that what these guys are trying to hold him to is actually what God wants. Mm-hmm. It's a man-made structure that's pushing back on even what God would desire from this. And so by Jesus just being in the presence of these these people, he's pushing back on them just by him being here because he knows the real heart of the Sabbath. Whatever he does is God's will for the Sabbath. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? So that alone makes it a totally different thing. And then on top of that, when whatever Jesus is doing is what the heart of the Sabbath was. They're pushing back saying, no, 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 you're breaking the rules. Well, no, that's not even the rules. You made the rules up. And so he's pushing back on this whole man-made system of a God-ordained idea like the Sabbath. Yeah, and I understand a little bit. I think think we can throw the Pharisees a little bit of a bone here, or it helps us understand, like, these were guys who loved the law, right? Mm -hmm. They were there because the Roman influence was pushing out the law. And that's kind of where this political party of the Pharisees started, is you have Roman influence trying to Romanize and bring their gods in. And then you have the other political party, the Sadducees who like reject anything spiritual. Mm -hmm. And these guys are like, no, we need to protect. And so they create that hedge of protection, which again, like I I think we forget that we do this all the time. Like for example, you know, in, in my neighborhood, I have a street and then there's 10 feet of what we call the park row. And then there's, my sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And I know it's 10 feet because my mower deck is 24 inches and it takes five times to go. <laughs> and then, uh, and then the, and then my front yard. Now I have four boys, they're eight, six, four, two, and they play in the front yard all the time. And there is a rule 
in my house that you cannot go in the road. That's a good rule for my kids because Mm -hmm. the road is dangerous. So because I don't want my kids to go in the road, I've added an extra 10 feet to that. And Mm -hmm. I said, you're not allowed to go past the sidewalk when you're playing. So the the real rule is don't go in the street. But because my two-year-old and, you know, especially my two-year-old and my four-year-old are kind of, you know, little spacey and sometimes don't always know, the rule is you can't go past the sidewalk. And, and that's, that is there as a, as a protection, sure. right? Because I don't have any problem with them actually going in the, in the park row. Right. Like, that's fine. It's still grass. I still cut it, you know, but it's just, uh, it's, it's too close to the danger zone. Sure. And, and that's, that's essentially what the Pharisees are doing here. Mm-hmm. What the Pharisees have done is they've made that rule so tight that suppose my two, my four-year-old was running by the sidewalk, tripped, fell and landed in the park row and and my eight-year-old runs over there to see if he's okay. And I say, no, you can't go in the park row because you can't go in that 10 feet of grass because that's the rule. Like, clearly, I don't want him going in there, but I see the value of like, hey, really, I don't want you in the street. Mm-hmm. And so this is here to protect you from going in the street. But there, there is a time and place, yeah, where you might have to go in that place that's, that's a little bit more dangerous for a really good reason. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I think that's where the Pharisees kind of get off here is that, you know, they get off, off the right path is they've put that hedge as a protection, but then they've made that hedge so important that guys walking through the, the grain field can't even eat. And mm-hmm. so like, Hey, it's better for you to starve than to eat when really the, the idea here is you shouldn't be doing your day of work. Mm-hmm. No, that's totally it. Which is really the pushback that Jesus then gives, you know, David, David didn't follow the rules the way you interpret the rules. So if the great King David broke the rules, what are you going to do about this? Which is an interesting thing. And when I put broke the rules, I put that in quotes because the rules aren't what you think they are. And that's why he would end that passage with the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The idea that Sabbath was given to us as a gift. So we operate as a gift that it was given to us as opposed to, a law or a rule that has to be followed steadfastly or else we die. Right. Right. And then, and then you see the need and not to get fully into like situational ethics here, because I don't think this is a rule in the sense of right. the other things, but there are, there is a time when the greater good is to not follow that so strictly, you know, and that's where mm-hmm. Jesus says, you know, which of you that has a donkey that falls in the hole in the Sabbath won't pull it out. Right. You know, like, Hey, yeah, you understand this is not a normal situation. Right. I, I would pull a donkey out of a hole. All right. Good to know. If it fell on the Sabbath. All right. Would you read? Well, I, here's the other thing too, is we think of Sabbath as Sunday. We're talking all day Saturday here, but that's a whole nother discussion. So yeah. yeah. All right. Give me verse two of chapter three. This is number, what are we on? Four. Four. This number the four. Fourth challenge passage that you see. And here's what happens to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath uh, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here, get over here. And he said to the man or to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. So who's silent? The people in the synagogue, mm-hmm. which w- I would probably include some Pharisees, but I think everyone, mm-hmm. everybody's silent. I think it's so interesting, verse 5, that Jesus looked around at them with anger. Yes. And grieved at their hardness of heart. 
uh, this is just so interesting where mm-hmm. Jesus, Jesus again is, uh, they, they get so stuck up on the Sabbath, mm-hmm. you know, but, but I think again, like as much as I just, we just want to throw the Pharisees under the bus and be like, these guys were terrible. They did make a lot of bad decisions, but I can identify so much with them so often because I think there's, who's it that, what famous pastors that there's a little bit of Pharisee in all of mm-hmm. us. Like we think. But that's why you're a terrible person. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, but but that's why I'm I'm the sinner that needs yeah that needs I'm the the sick that needs a doctor. But right. uh, you know, how often do we if we want to test if someone is from God or not? Often we look to our own rules and is this guy following our set of Christian culture what we think is and they're not. Oh, they must not really be from God because and I think that's kind of what they're doing here. They're they're starting to say Jesus is not messiah because look he doesn't even follow the sabbath and of course the messiah would feel follow the sabbath the way that we think it should be followed mm-hmm. to the point that like they're so broken up in their hearts that a guy who has whose hand is withered they're like nope it's got to wait till tomorrow and what i love about this passage is he doesn't actually say you're healed he just says stretch out your hand and when the guy does the hand is healed so he never, he never yeah. actually stated, "I'm going to heal this guy." He just says, "Stretch out your hand," and when he does, he's healed. And then they flip out. It's very interesting to me. Yeah, I wonder if this is another situation where Jesus knew their hearts because it says he looked around at them with ang- anger, mm-hmm. greed at the hardness of heart, and then said, "Stretch out." Mm-hmm. So even before he said, "I'm going to," even before he healed the guy, their hearts were like, "Oh, he better not." Oh, oh, he better not, because then Chris, read uh, read verse six for me. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Uh-oh. You have to read that last part like that. Yeah. I, th- I think we're going to dig in later about the Pharisees and the Herodians being like super great buddies, right? Yeah, we are. They're friends, not friends at all. We're, uh, we're, you, you and I are probably going to do a podcast yeah, next week about how many groups exist, what they all are. You've already intimated to the Pharisees, Sadducees, we throw Herodians in here. Yeah, scribes is another group. I've been as as I've been doing my journal in Mark, I've been writing down or circling all the different mm-hmm. groups that Jesus encounters. And so often you've got the crowds, the people, the scribes, uh, at this point the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. Now we've got the Herodians in here. There's going to be some more as we go, but I think it's I think it's interesting to see how he interacts with all these different people because sometimes we just kind of lump them all into one. Mm-hmm. But they're all a little bit different. It's true. And along that lines, you know, I don't know if we'll say this in that other podcast, so I'll drop it here. The fact that we sometimes even lump Pharisees the way we do, there are some Pharisees who are starting to follow Jesus. Yeah, Nicodemus. I mean, Nicodemus is a, is a key example. There's going to be this guy later named uh, Saul who's going to follow him. But I would make the case, and we'll talk about this a little, I think we will get into this in that, that other podcast, is I think that at least the influence of the Pharisees is felt pretty strongly in Peter, James, and John, for sure. Maybe less so in Andrew, but they seem to at least be Pharisee adjacent, if not Pharisee open. Yeah, well, the the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. Sure. And we'll get into more of their history next time. But, like, these guys were there protecting the law. Mm-hmm. And so if you were a good conservative, like, Torah-reading Jew— Mm-hmm. You probably looked up to the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. So. Very much so. Yeah. Something to think about. All right. We're on to number five. 
Number Fire, five. Fired at me. Verse 21 of chapter 3. And when the family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. <laughs> we get the family involved. Yeah. The There's a couple of things going on here that that are interesting, but I... This is the first of the there's so there's like we said there are seven challenges that happen to Jesus between chapters 2 and 3. We've looked at four of them and every one of those four was a religious leader of some sort. Mm-hmm. Here it's his family. And when we say family, we're talking about his actual family, his mom, his brothers. I'm almost positive Joseph is dead at this point. Do you agree with that at, uh, at least as far as the I would put the probability high. Very high. Okay. So if you think about this, Mary and the boys go out to see their brother and son, Jesus, and they want him to eat, which is a great thing, Mm -hmm. right? I have no issue with them wanting for him to eat in verse 20. And when Jesus got home, the crowd gathered so that he could not even eat. When they hear that he can't eat, they say, oh, he's he's out of his mind. He doesn't care about the things of this world. Uh, Yeah. So they push back and they get a little angry and... I don't know that they're, but you know, you're giving the Pharisees the benefit of a doubt earlier. I would give the family a bit of a benefit of a doubt here. He, if Jesus is unwell because he's just dishing, 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 dishing of himself, right? If he's just mm-hmm. passing himself out over and over and over again to the point where he's weary, I can understand where they'd say he is out of his mind. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's out of his mind. Like he's a crazy person. It just means he's lost his mind. He needs to like get some food in him or else he's going to collapse. Which I can hear my mother saying that in the back of my head. I don't know if you can hear that. But, you know, playing sports in high school and things, we would come home and she'd be like, you need to eat. You need to eat. You've done too much today. You've burned so many calories. Uh, That eating habit has not paid off now that I don't burn as many calories. But that's a whole other discussion. So just so you know, like I, I, I understand where they're coming from here. But the challenge here is he's out of his mind, which... I think really will foster some of the issues that are going to come down the road. So if his family's starting to say he's out of his mind, who else is going to start saying he's out of his mind and things are going to get a little dicier? Right, right. And it's interesting. So we're recording this uh, on the 10th. Do you care if I say what day it is? I don't care. That's the 10th. Um, November. Cause, yeah, because it won't come out. I'm preaching on the 20th on this passage. So I've been looking at this passage a little bit already. Um, it's interesting that it comes right after he appoints the 12 apostles very much and so there's kind of a like what is family you know we'll we'll explore this a little bit deeper in the sermon than we're going to do in the 30 seconds right now but yeah what is family there's there's like a juxtaposition here between jesus appointing 12 apostles and then his biological family Mm -hmm. starting to pressure him so which is going to lead us to number seven when we get to there yes All right, uh, is it my turn or your turn? No, my turn. Number six, the very next verse, right? So we just heard the mom say he's out of his mind, or the family, I should say. Right. But I can hear Mary saying this because I I remember her well. Do you? You. No, I'm just kidding. I never met Mary. All right, verse. But you've seen the chosen. Yeah, I've seen the chosen. I know it. I know I can hear her saying it. Verse 22, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. Good times. Yeah. Mm. See, here's here's another group, the scribes. And Beelzebul would be another name for Satan. Do you know where that name came from? Why mm. they? Mm-hmm. Give us a 30-second. Yeah, so Baal is the god of the Canaanites, 
and Zebul means, I think, prince of the air, prince of the sky. So put those two together. Baal was known as the prince of the sky okay. because he controlled the thunder and the lightning. Okay. So, but some, some point between when the Canaanites were basically wiped out of the land almost completely to this time that we talked about a few podcasts ago about what we call the second temple period, uh, they had taken this name Beelzebul and they'd made it synonymous with Satan. Oh, okay. Which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Just a Canaanite God that kind of became the catch all term for, mm-hmm. for Satan. I mean, he's a bad dude because to worship Baal, you usually threw babies onto a, a scalding hot right. statue of Baal and you listened to them scream, but then you knew that the storms were coming because you sacrificed a child. I mean, it's pretty messed up. Yeah. Yeah. And people say like, Oh, the Israelites were genocidal maniacs because these terrible people. Yeah, that's another discussion. Okay. It's almost oh. another discussion, too, to say, you know, that you take uh, something and you sacrifice it for the sake of your ongoing well-being. But that's a whole other discussion as yeah. well. So we'll leave that hanging as well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Check check those. We need to make a spinoff podcast. of. See, this podcast is to explain the things we can't get to in a sermon. Then we're going to spin off this podcast into a podcast for the things we can't get to in this podcast. Here's the things we, we wish we would have said, but we didn't feel like we had the clarity in that particular podcast to say. Okay. So, so yeah, so this is number six. And they're saying, hey, Beelzebul. So what do you make of it? Yeah. I, I mean, Jesus responds really well, of course. It's Jesus, right? How can Satan cast out out Satan. And this this is where I'm getting at with, with that thing before that I mentioned before. They are expecting Messiah to be something. Mm-hmm. And because he's not meeting their expectation, there's an assumption that he's he's from Satan. Mm-hmm. And they're missing that their assumption is the thing that was wrong. Right? Because we if somebody came today and said, you know, I speak on behalf of the Lord. I'm a, I'm a prophet, or maybe didn't even want to use the title, but just said, you know, I'm yeah. a, I, I'm speaking to you. God has a message, uh, but also they were like, I don't know, just living a crazy life. Like you saw them at the bar getting completely drunk, and then they were running around with a bunch of women and all this kind of thing. You'd be like, all right, clearly this guy is not hearing from the Lord. But they got a Grammy, and now they're thanking God, so they're clearly with him. Yeah, that's a great example. Oh yeah. I wasn't, were you thinking? I, I'm being the, very specific, okay. but yeah, go ahead. Okay, I'm not, I'm just, <laughs> I'm making things up, but yeah. Um, yeah, but just that kind of thing where they're like being influential in the church, and I can actually think of a few specific ones here, but, but their life is not matching it. Like right. there's, there's clear embrace of sin. So then you take it even to the level of Messiah. If Messiah is going to be someone who is from God and going to deliver the people He's the anointed one who's going to deliver the people from, in their mind, the Romans. Then, then he better be a guy that's doing what God asks. Mm-hmm. And so, so then they say, well, he's not even he's not even doing the Sabbath. So if he's not from God, they got to put him in some category because in their mind, oh, Messiah would understand Sabbath the way we do. Instead of checking their understanding and understanding that, hey, we actually really not understand what God wants wants from us here. They got to categorize him somewhere. So they categorize him as Satan. Totally. Which you would think we don't do that today, but we clearly do that today. Right? If Jesus doesn't meet the expectations we have for him, occasionally we act like this. Yeah. So I'm not throwing them a bone here because they're they're totally wrong, but so am I. So this kind of comes back to that sinners right. and tax collectors thing. Like, I'm not the righteous one that needs no help. I need a ton of help. 
Because there are times where Jesus doesn't meet my expectations and I have to unwind my expectations rather than curse him and throw him under the bus. Right. Right. So I can pair, I can understand that. I know you can probably too. So unless you're way holier than I am. <laughs> Usually not. <laughs> He's thinking about it. Yeah. Let me, let me count. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. And I, I think, I think if, if there's anything to get out of this, this episode is we're not trying to defend the Pharisees here. I think we're just trying to point out like we are way more Pharisee than we like to believe. Mm-hmm. I, I I should make that about me. I am way more Pharisee than I like to believe. We mm-hmm. read all these stories and I'm like, those Pharisees were idiots. How did they not see this? Oh, those Pharisees, like, what are they doing again? And here's the scribes. Come on, scribes. Like, guys, this is so simple. But man, how many times in my life is Jesus calling me to do something and I'm like, that can't be from God because, you know, mm-hmm. I have to get to the store right away and I'm not going to pull over and help that person. God didn't, put that opportunity there because I've got a more important thing to do, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Or that person, I'm not going to listen to that person because, you know, they didn't, they missed a Sunday service or I don't know. Right. Anyway. No, you're not, you're not wrong. All right. Should we hit number seven now? Last one. Is this one me? The final challenge. Yeah. I'm totally losing count here. Hey, we all are. We're good. All right. Uh, verse 31 of chapter three. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So Chris, explain to us how Jesus tells us to ignore our families. (laughs) Yeah, there's a couple other passages too. There's one where he says at one point, hate your mother, brothers, and sisters, and everyone has flipped out about, wait, 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 you said hate my family. What does that even mean? I just talked about that in youth group last week. Yeah, that's a good thing to talk about because I think people misunderstand it. And, you know, when we get to this sermon in a couple of weeks, it'll be really helpful, I think, for some people to see this broken down and, and fixed. But I think the, the main point is less to do with being combative against one's family and more to do with, are you actually following the will of God? Right. And I, and I think what's beautiful about what Jesus says here is this is not familial in the relational sense of actually having blood relation. You can be a part of the family of God mm-hmm. just by merely doing what the will of God is. And it's interesting that this is the final of these, you know, I don't know what, what to say. The, you know, I call them showdowns in the email. We can call them challenge passages. But all seven of them have this consistent theme. Are you who you say you are, Jesus? What he's going to do next in chapter four and then where he's going to go for the next few chapters is just going to be not just to say, I am exactly who I say I am, but he's going to back it up and prove it. Right? Mm-hmm. right. So he's going to back it up by his words and he's going to back it up by his actions. And what he's going to say the whole time is you should follow me. And if you follow me, you're a part of the family. So what I find interesting is the religious leaders should be the people who know God the best. Right. And what we see in the five challenges that are strictly religious leaders, they maybe don't know God as well as they, they claim to, or as well as we'd like them to. Right. I think they've created a, Man, even caricature, I think I'd even say that. They've created a, good, a, a yeah. caricature of God mm-hmm. that they are believing. Yep. And they believe that caricature, and it sounds great, but that's not God. Right. And then 
you have the family, and at least Mary should absolutely know who her son is. But she's still struggling with what this means. And so these two challenges, you know, if you look at the, the previous one, he needs to eat, he's out of his mind. And you look at this one and you go, he needs to come out here and meet with us. It's, you know, right. and I don't even necessarily know that they're being demanding. It, it may not be as bad as we, you could read this passage and be, whoa, Mary is way out of line. No, she's his mom. She has every right to ask for him to come out. And Jesus isn't even necessarily saying, no, 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 they're not my family. (laughs) You know, that's not really the point he's making. What he's saying is, I am available to all of you. To be a part of the family of God means you do the will of God, and that makes you one of the brothers or sisters in this family. Right. Right. And I think for us today, we can remember, one, that our family, our Biological brother, sister, mother can also be spiritual family too. Mm-hmm. Um, I had I had a, a guy at my last church which was really cool. He had a, a bracelet that he wore that said "my my father, my brother," and it mm-hmm. had her birthday, the student's birthday, and then the, the the dad's salvation date because he got saved after she did. And so I, I thought that was cool. That's you know, really like he, cool. he wore my my father, my brother. Um, uh, but the other thing, you know, so so our family can be that. But think about this too. I've never really thought through this. Jesus, we're we're early in Mark, right? And Mark's not chronological, right? I, I maybe a little bit. I would say it's it's got some chronological issues, is how I would say it. Right. And so I don't know what that means. So we might be early. Well, yeah, we're early in Jesus' ministry because he's pulling together all his disciples. So that's yes, for we're pretty sure. early. Mm-hmm. Jesus has lived thirty years to this point, and Mary obviously knows who he is based on his birth mm-hmm. story. And then probably raising Jesus was a lot different than raising other kids. Probably a little easier. Maybe, maybe, maybe a little personally challenging to yourself. Yes. Uh, maybe not. Like what if my kids were sinless? <sighs> right. <laughs> but, but he has for the first 30 years, he's lived one life. And now all of a sudden he started his public ministry. Everything has changed for her too. But she's experienced 30 years. And so, yeah, Jesus is calling all these people. People are getting excited about this movement. Well, Mary, maybe, maybe Mary's kind of adjusting to this. Hey, I knew that he's Messiah. I knew that he's special, that he's born of God, conceived of the Holy Spirit. But now in just these last couple of weeks, months, he's been acting a whole lot differently. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of getting nuts. And people are going crazy around him. And I'm his mom. And I don't know how to deal with this. So maybe, maybe some of that, maybe we throw a bone to Mary and say like, yeah. Totally. Maybe you're just trying to figure this out right now. Totally. And I think the point of chapters two and three dealing with these these showdowns or these conflict or these challenges is they're just trying to adjust their expectations of him. He's pushing back pretty hard, but he's about to show them where you who haven't seen anything yet. This is about yeah. to get a whole lot crazier. So healing a paralytic is one thing. Walking on water is a slightly different situation. Not eating and being perceived as out of your mind is a little different than feeding 5,000 people. Yeah. So Just a little. he's going to start proving himself in an extreme way as we move into chapters four through eight. And then he's going to prove himself once and for all by the time we get to chapter 16 for, by dying for us and rising from the grave. So that's the beginning. So these challenges, and I think really what we're saying and what's really important is what are the expectations that you're putting on Jesus or even the character you've built of him or the caricature that you've built of God that maybe doesn't fit with who he really is? Are you letting him challenge you in that regard?